0: My guest, my name is Byron, and I get the great honor to be able to serve here as the lead pastor. I want to say welcome to all of our guests. You could be anywhere right now, but you chose to come here, and for that, I am grateful. During the service, anytime, you could go ahead and grab one of the Connect cards in the seat back in front of you. Fill it out. And go ahead and turn it in. I would love to be able to meet you after service at the Connect desk. Can we just go ahead and give a round of applause for all of our guests today? Make them feel welcome. Make them feel welcome. Well, hey, we're going to continue our study in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 36. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up there. And while you're finding your place, let's go ahead and kick off with a little bit of sports trivia. You know, the Astros aren't doing very good this year, and so um, I'm kind of over it, and my attention has turned to football. Uh, I go to the gym often, and in the locker room, there is a, uh, a TV, and it's always playing Sports Center. and so I get to see what everybody's happening, all the moves that they're making, and um, NFL teams getting ready for preseason in a few weeks, and it really got me thinking this week, I wonder who is the all-time Leading scorer in NFL history, I started thinking about it and I came up with a list of people that I thought it was. Uh, now, don't Google it, but I'll ask you: Who do you think it is? Like, like who thinks it's like Peyton Manning? Right? Is he the goat? Is he the best? Is he the greatest of all time? Uh, what about what about this guy? I grew up watching them, Randy Moss. Like watching that one-handed catch. Oh my goodness! Like he's got to be the best, but he, he's not. Uh, or maybe some of you might think it's the guy who never retires. Uh, Tom Brady, is he, is he the goat? Um, for those of you who didn't say yes, you must think it would be this guy right here because uh, you're a Cowboy fan. Um, I feel really sorry for you. If you're a Cowboy fan, uh, we're going to have open altars at the end. You could come forward and repent um, of your sin of, uh, of being a Cowboy fan. Hey, did you hear that they actually recalled every Cowboy jersey from Academy? Yeah, because it was a choking hazard, so. um, (laughs) So uh, what was actually interesting to me is that it wasn't any of these people. In fact, it was this guy right here. He don't look like the best, does he? But that's Adam Vinatieri, a kicker. Adam Vinatieri is the all-time leading scorer in NFL history with... 2,000, let me make sure I get this right, 2,673 points. A kicker. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I would have thought at least quarterback, wide receiver, running back. I didn't think about a kicker. But what's fascinating is that when you look at the top 20 all-time leading scorers in NFL history, they're all kickers. And that's, that's fascinating because it's a position that doesn't get a lot of attention, Right? I mean, I've never heard, like, people arguing on who they're going to pick for a kicker on their fantasy football league. Like, who do you got as a kicker? Oh, I, ne- I never heard of a, a kid growing up and said, I can't wait until I become a kicker in the NFL. Even though the Cowboys need one after last year. Um, <laughs> like, I've never seen grown men paint their bodies, go to a game, scream at the top of their lungs with a kicker jersey on. But yet, when it comes to point for point, probably the most important person on a team, not necessarily the the quarterback, the running back, we all play our parts, but the kicker might be one of the most important people on a team. It doesn't seem like much, just one point. But you add it over a career, and it's a big deal. Like, one point is the difference between a win and a loss. Again, ask the Cowboys. Adam Vinatieri is famous because three Super Bowls he won with what? With a kick. It's the littlest things, if you're taking notes, write this down. It's the littlest things that oftentimes make the biggest difference. Like one point. Or maybe, if you remember back to when you were in high school, learning the quadratic equation, carrying the one. Get it wrong. Get the whole problem wrong. Or, or maybe you got here in a car, Right? But that car wouldn't start unless you had what? A key. And compared to the car, the key is really small. But sometimes it's the littlest things that make the biggest difference. Now, you say, well, why are you talking about this? What does this have to do with the message today? Because today we're gonna see probably, point for point, the most influential person, not only in the early church, but maybe throughout all of church history. And no, it's not Peter. And no, it's not Paul. But it's a man named Barnabas. Never really heard a sermon about Barnabas. We're not naming our kids Barnabas. <laughs> but when it comes to who was the most influential person in the New Testament, it might be this guy. Why? Because he had a, he had a gift. He had something special. He had something that very few people had. He had what today we would call encouragement. Encouragement is so little, just a text, just a hi, how are you doing? Just a hello, just a smile. It's so little and insignificant that we often overlook it, but we can't live without it. And so today I wanna talk to you about the power of encouragement from the life of Barnabas. We we only find his introduction in just, just two verses, so I'm only gonna do two verses today, you're welcome. It's still going to be a long sermon, so. Um, but I was going to do this last week, and last week's about healthy church culture. And then uh, next week we're going to do Ananias and Sapphira, and it's going to be a really heavy message. So today's going to be a lighthearted message about encouragement, because next week you're going to need it. Um, and But I just realized that there was probably so many people in this room who, who could really just go for some encouragement today. And there's so many people in our world that could go for a little bit of encouragement. I believe that the church of Jesus should be a place that is filled with the power of encouragement. And so we're gonna learn from the life of Barnabas. Let me read this to you. Here's what it says. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. Listen, he was such an encourager, they just called him Mr. Encouragement. And I don't think it was one of those ironic nicknames, like when you meet a big guy named Tiny, right? Right? I think he, he really was so much a part of his character that they just called him the son of encouragement. And then it, it says this about him. It says he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, so far in the book of Acts, we've seen some, some miracles happen. I mean, we're in chapter four. We started off by, by by seeing people speaking in tongues. Like that's 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 a miracle, right? The Holy Spirit showed up. The Shekinah glory of God filled the upper room. Tongues of fire rested upon them, and they just started speaking in tongues. And then other people began to hear it in their own native language and dialect. Three thousand people were saved and baptized in a single day. The church was born in a very miraculous way. We've seen people be healed. We've seen prophecies. We've seen the arrested, thrown in prison, get out, come back, and then pray again. And the whole place was shaken with the Holy Spirit. We've seen the supernatural. We've seen the miraculous. But I wonder if sometimes in the church, we get so focused on the miracles that we overlook like the mundane things. We get so focused on the supernatural that sometimes we just don't really give a lot of attention to the things that are very normal. Or maybe we're always waiting for a move of God. And sometimes God is waiting to move through us. You know, because we're going to meet Barnabas, and and, and on the surface, like, it doesn't look like he really contributes a whole lot. Because from what I can tell from reading Acts, and we're going to get to see him more often, is this. He never preaches a sermon He never prophesied, doesn't say anything that he ever laid hands on a person and that they were healed, but yet he's mentioned 23 times in the book of Acts. Why? Because he was an encourager. And he very may well be probably the most important person that we're going to see when it comes to, to church history. And I say this because I just have this feeling that there's some people who are in this room and you come to church and you think, I'm not anything special. I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to contribute. Like in our modern evangelical culture, we love celebrities. Like you listen to the celebrity pastors, you listen to them on podcasts and Spotify, you watch their sermons and send them to friends on YouTube, YouTube. Or maybe the the, the really famous worship leaders, and you listen to their songs and you get Holy Ghost goosebumps and all the warm fuzzy feelies whenever they sing, and you're like, ah Or maybe if you grew up in a charismatic church like mine, you might remember traveling to go see a prophet, or when they had a prophet come in town, you're like, oh, I gotta go, because they might have a word for me. I need to get a word from the Lord, and he hears from God. And then you might get this idea that there's the haves and have-nots in church, right? That there's the, the, the gifted people and then there's the ordinary people. There's the, there's the platform and there's the pews. There's the haves and have-nots. There's the saints, that's me, and the ain'ts, that's you. <laughs> because we, we tend to focus on the more supernatural that oftentimes we overlook the very average, mundane, ordinary things that happen in the church. But Barnabas is going to show us that there is no haves and have-nots in the kingdom of God. What Barnabas is going to show us is that even the littlest things can make the biggest of differences. And here's the reason why it's so incredibly important for us to be encouragers. If you're taking notes, write this down. Because everyone is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. Like everyone you meet is fighting a battle that you know absolutely nothing about. Here's what I know as a pastor. Is that every single person in this room has either been in a battle, is in a battle, or about to be in a battle. And therefore, when we're in the lobby or when we're small groups or, you know, whenever we're online, you know, we should be encouragers because everyone's in a battle. And you don't know anything about what they are going through in this life. I'll give you a a quick uh, illustration about why this matters to me. I remember several years ago um, when redemption was just getting started. There was a man who, uh, he'd been coming for several weeks, maybe a month or two. And one day after church, he came up to me in the lobby and and he had tears in his eyes. He said, I want to say, thank you. This church has saved my life. And I said, hey, that's what we're all about. Life changed through Jesus, baby. That's that's what we got on the wall. He said, no, I don't think you understand. Like, this church really saved my life. The day that I came to church for the first time, I was going to commit suicide. I already made that up in my mind. But I woke up that morning and I decided I was going to give God one more shot. And I came to church that Sunday and I gave my life to Jesus and it changed my life. And I said, well, what was it uh, that you experienced? And you know what he said it was? He said, I knew something was different the moment I was set foot in that parking lot. But the moment for me was whenever a, a greeter shook my hand and looked me in the eye and said, I'm glad that you're here. That was the first time somebody had said that to me in a long time. It's the first time that I felt Like somebody actually cared about me because he had determined that his life wasn't worth living, that nobody would even care if he was gone. And then he comes to church and somebody looks him in the eye and says, I'm glad that you're here. It wasn't my sermon that did it. It wasn't our worship team. It wasn't our prayer team. It was a greeter who opened a door and just said, "I'm glad that you're here. That man went to Next Steps, joined a surf team, was in a small group. Four years later, still calls Redemption home. He's here because somebody shook his hand said, I'm glad that you're here. Listen, you never know what somebody else is going through. So we should all strive to be encouragers. That's just one out of hundreds of stories. But did you know that in our church we have people going through cancer right now? We have people going through custody battles. We have people going through divorces. I mean, we got grandparents who are are, their children are on drugs. We got moms and dads who their children have walked away from the faith. We got people who are out of work. But I know when you walk past them in the lobby, you don't recognize that because everybody looks just so happy to be here. Because they are. But at the same time, they're going through a battle. That's just in this room, but that doesn't even scratch the surface of what Southeast Texas is like. I mean, at work or at home or with our families or at the gym or with the barista at the, at the, the coffee shop or, or the person who's standing in line in front of you at, at, at the, the grocery store or the person who's at the red light in front of you. Every single person that we come across in this life is going through a battle that we don't know anything about. Which is why, as Christians, we should be encouragers. We should speak life into people. We should bring hope to people. The word encouragement, it actually means to instill confidence or courage inside another person. Or to come alongside of them to be able to help them or to give hope to another person. Does that not sound like the life of a Christian? Does it not sound like the call of a church? Does that not sound like who we should be as Christ followers we should be encouragers. And I know that there's people in this room who you're here today and you need an encouraging word. You want to be encouraged, to be uplifted, to be be edified. Well, you're in good luck because today I'm going to talk to you about the power of encouragement. I'm going to give you three principles from the life of Barnabas about the power of encouragement. Why? Because everyone we meet, maybe even you, is in a battle that we know nothing about. And so we should seek to be Encouraging, so, so let me give you three things. The, the first is this, is the gift of encouragement. In, in the Bible, there's about 23 to 28 spiritual gifts that are mentioned, and depending on the commentator you read, They're found in three different places. If you're interested in learning about the spiritual gifts on first Wednesdays, uh, what we're going to do is starting this August through the rest of the year, we're going to be teaching on spiritual gifts, a part of our Holy Spirit series. And so if you ever want to learn about spiritual gifts, what your gifts are, and how you can use those to make a difference, first Wednesdays, 7 o'clock, we'd love to be able to have you here. But what I find fascinating is in this big long list of spiritual gifts, Oftentimes we focus on the more miraculous ones, like the gift of tongues and interpretation or the gift of prophecy, the gifts of healing, the gifts of faith, the gifts of teaching, the gifts of leadership. But in Romans chapter 12, when it gives a long list of these power gifts, what's fascinating is right in the middle of it, look what it says. It talks about encouragement as a gift. Here's how it says it here. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, if the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, that word is encouragement, the one who contributes do so in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy, let them do it with kindness. Right there in the middle of all of these gifts that people so crave and so desire is the gift of encouragement. You're like, how does that have to do with prophecy and, and with gifts of faith and, and teaching? And then there's the one who in, encourages. Why? Because to encourage somebody is a gift that God gives you so that way then you can go and give that gift of encouragement to somebody else. Encouragement is a gift of the spirit. Do you know why? Because here's what happens. When you begin to have this attitude of an encourager, you don't see people the way the world sees them. You begin to see people the way God sees them. You don't see them for who they were. You see them for who God has created them to be. And so, yes, in a sense, the gift of encouragement is very similar to the gift of prophecy because you are seeing into the future what God sees about somebody. And so encouragement is a, is a gift of the Spirit. It's a, it's a mark of the Spirit. It's a, it's a sign of the Spirit of God active and working in your life, which means criticism and judgment and negativity is not a sign of the Spirit, guys. I'm sorry. You're like, well, I just feel like God's called me to point out all the problems in the world. Okay. right. There's one accuser of the brethren. His name's Satan. He doesn't need your help. I think you're mistaking the gift of discernment with the gift of discouragement, all right? Because the gifts are given for the edification, the upbuilding of the church, for the encouraging of the church. And so criticism is actually just a sign of the flesh. Like it's not hard to be critical, is it? Like it's really easy to walk around and point out all the problems in people's lives. Right, that would be really easy if that was my job. <laughs> right, and it's not, it's not hard to walk into a room and start, and start belittling people. That's pretty easy. It, you know, whenever you go to a construction site, what, what's faster, the demo team or the construction team? It's demo. Oh, that's easy. It's the construction team that's, that takes the longest time. Because the flesh loves to to criticize and to judge and to point fingers at everything else that's going wrong. But it takes a work of the spirit of God in a person's life to be able to see the best, even in the worst of situations. It takes the spirit of God to believe that there is a person that God loves and you see them the way that God sees them. It takes the spirit of God to encourage in a world that's filled with so much discouragement. It is, a, it is a gift of the Spirit. And so here's, here's what I, I try to do. And I want you to be able to take this home with you. Is that you should try to tell people who they can become and not just the things they're doing wrong. Or maybe like this. Tell people what they could be and not just the things they should do. Like, it's it's not hard to go, you should do this and you should do that and you never do this and why don't you ever do this and you should do this and I'm so upset whenever you do that. But what we can replace that with is tell them who they can be because of what Jesus has done for them. Tell people who they can be. I see such potential in you. I see life change happening in you. I see a man or a woman of God in you. Tell them who they can be and then watch who they become because of what Jesus has done in their life. Listen, this is what I do whenever I preach. Whenever I preach, I don't just sit up here and tell you how horrible you are all the time, do I? Just like, y'all, a bunch of filthy, dirty sinners. You're lucky God loves you, or else you'd be on fire right now. Like, like there's some people, they just treat the Bible like it's a gun. They just go, choo, 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 choo just shooting holes in everybody. Right? That's not what I do. What, what, what do I do? Of course you're a sinner. We're, we have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I know you've messed up this week. You know why? Because I know I've messed up this week, too. But I don't just tell you what you've done wrong. I tell you who God wants you to be, who God wants you to become. Oh, no, you're not just a sinner. You are a a saint who has been chosen by God. You are a son or a daughter of the king. You are a child of the most high God. You are the the workmanship of Christ Jesus who is created for good works that he has predestined before the foundations of the world. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You are no longer a slave to sin, but you have been set free from sin. The old is gone. The new has come. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now live like it. It builds your faith and it helps you leave here different than you were the day that you walked in here. Because I don't just sit here and just tell you all the things that you should do. You know why? That is a works-based religion. What does works say? If you do this, God will love you. Grace says, because God loves you, you can do this. It's the difference between works and grace, not just telling people what they should do, but telling people who they can become because of what Jesus has done. But listen, this doesn't only just work for preaching, but this also works for parenting. Like parents in the room, like you should be a constant source of encouragement in the life of your children. Do you know that by the time a child is age five, their entire worldview has been sealed? As As a parent of a small child, You have the opportunity to create in your children an outlook of life or death, to help them see the world, not through the lens of being a victim, but seeing a victor in what Christ has done for them. To have a negative mindset or a positive mindset, like a small child, that's what the act of encouragement. So my daughter Ruth, she's three, and we're potty training right now. After seven years, we're finally out of diapers. Can I get a glory hallelujah? But she has a hard time going number two. <laughs> and so what do we do as a, as a parent? Do we scold her? Be like, you need to go number two. No, what do we do? We encourage her. We created something that we call the poo-poo dance. <laughs> you ever do the poo-poo dance? Go poo-poo in the potty, poo-poo in the potty. And then she goes, daddy, I did it. I'm like, yay. <clears throat> Why, we're encouraging her. As a parent, we should be encouraging. But this also works in marriage. Just give you a little pro-marriage tip. If you're you're married or if you're single and you desire to be married, oftentimes I have women, they'll come up to me and they'll say, Pastor, my husband's just not the spiritual leader that he should be. And they'll say that with their husband right there next to him. (laughs) Now, do you think that talking about your husband that way is going to make him want to become the spiritual leader that God created him to be? No, he's going to feel embarrassed, discouraged, and he's probably just going to go home and he's not going to step up. So here's what I always tell people to do. You encourage your husband. You, you tell him who he can be. So anytime he says something even remotely spiritual, like it's Saturday and he says, hey, kids, it's time for bed because we're going to church in the morning. You look at him and go, oh, we're going to church <laughs> in the morning. And then you, you get up real close to him, and you just lean over in his ear, and you go, my mighty man of God right there. <laughs> you say, oh, yeah, baby, take me to church. <laughs> and if you want to get real spiritual, use tongue, right? <laughs> and I can tell you this, you will never miss a Sunday after that. You will be serving one, sitting one every single Sunday. You will go to first Wednesday. You will go to next steps, but you've already been. You're going again. (laughs) Say, I'm joining a team. We're going to church. Get your Bible. Come on, kids, put your shoes on. This man of God is leading his family to church today. I tell you, don't tell him what he should do. Tell him who he could be. And he'll rise to that level of expectation. And don't just go around telling people what they should do. Tell them who they can become because of what Jesus has, has done for them. So let me give you some really practical ways, besides um, praying in tongues for your husband, <laughs> that you can encourage somebody. Number one, with your thoughts. The Bible says, whatever is pure, lovely, and noble, think on these things. Like, if you have a negative mindset, you're walking around always being critical of everything, so it's to be very hard for you to be an encourager. And so think encouraging thoughts. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe that person didn't mean to cut you off on on traffic. Maybe they didn't see you, or maybe they got somewhere they gotta be. Be encouraging with that thought. Number two, with with your talk. The Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. Your words can bring healing, or they can hurt. Your words can inspire, or they can crush. So be watchful of your, your words. Because your your words are powerful. Uh, number three, with, with your time. Well, oftentimes, people don't need an answer. Sometimes they just need you to care. You don't have to have all the answers if you want to encourage somebody. You don't even have to have words. Sometimes all you have to do is just sit with them. I, I do that all the time. I mean, I'll be doing counseling or I'll meet with somebody, and I'm like, I don't have an answer to this. And I'll just say, God, would you would you help me? And I'll just go, uh huh. Yeah, man, and by the end of it, they feel better because a burden's been released and all you did was just sit with them. Listen, people don't care what you know until they know how much you care about them. Right. Uh, number, number three, with your, your talus, this is serving people. Right, Whenever Ashley, before Ashley was pregnant, her, her love language was touch, right? She was always touching up all up on me, right? <laughs> and I'd be like, babe, I'm not a piece of meat. <laughs> and then she got pregnant and she did not like being touched. <laughs> I was like, this is, true. she got, and now we have toddlers running around and she's always overstimulated. She's like, just don't touch me, stop touching me. <laughs> so I had to learn one of the best ways I can encourage her is through serving her. And so I started using my spiritual gifts of uh, doing the dishes, of doing the laundry. I'll pay somebody else to mow our yard, but I will go buy groceries. <laughs> because, because I've found that the way that I can encourage her is whenever she comes home or when she gets the kids in bed, that the house is at least somewhat livable. <laughs> it's encouraging to her. And then, and then lastly is with your treasures. How, how do we meet Barnabas? Here's how we met him. He just sold his house and gave it to the church because he wanted to financially meet the needs of those who are struggling. One of the best ways you can encourage somebody is by giving them a gift. It's somebody's birthday, slip them with 20 bucks. You you know that there's a a family who it's their kid's birthday, but they're scheduled to work that weekend. Pick up the shift for them. It's a single mom. Bless them with some groceries. You know, whenever me and Ashley first became Christians about 20 years ago, We were um, brand newlyweds. We were living in a really dumpy apartment, working at a restaurant. The first year of our combined income was $18,000. And we just got saved and started going to this church. And when we came home from church one day, there was a family who actually had a whole month's worth of groceries waiting for us at their doorstep. That encouraged us. Because for the last 10 years or so, all I had done is speak negative about the church and talk bad about the gospel and God. And I was so far from the Lord. I wanted nothing to do because the church is a bunch of hypocrites and all they do is want your money. And then I show up and there was a church on my doorstep giving, blessing, and caring for me. Changed the world, changed the way I see the world. You know, without that act of encouraging generosity, I, I may not be here today as your pastor. I might not have stayed in that church, met my pastor, been trained into ministry, went off to Bible school, be sent out by that church to plant a church. Who knows? One act of encouragement might be the reason redemption exists today. I don't know, but I can tell you this, that it's rare that I go to a grocery store 20 years later without thinking about that time when somebody gave me a month of groceries. You never know what an encouraging word, an encouraging thought, an encouraging moment is going to do for another person. That's the power of encouragement. It's a gift. At least number two, the goal of encouragement. At this point, some people are going to be like, well, you just want me to go around and lie to people and tell them there's something that they're not? What if they get a big head? (laughs) I'm not asking you to lie about people. What I am asking you to do is to encourage them. Like, like, here's the difference. Like, like, if, you're trying, if you want to encourage somebody, but you have to lie to do it, that's not encouragement. That's called flattery. All right, flattery is when you say to somebody's face what you wouldn't say behind their back. Right, gossip is saying behind their back what you wouldn't say to their face. But encouragement is seeing in someone what they don't see themselves. It's seeing inside somebody else. What they don't even notice is inside of them. And then speaking life speaking health, speaking words of encouragement that pulls out the gold that is within them and helps them to see themselves and the way that God has created them and the person that God has created them to be. Encouragement is seeing in someone something that they don't even see inside of themselves. It's seeing people for the way God sees them. That's why this is so incredibly important. Think about it like this. Michelangelo, when he was carving the sculpture of David, they asked him, how did you do that? He said, I saw David inside the marble, and then I removed every piece that didn't belong. That's what encouragement does to another person. But instead of using a chisel, you're using your words to remove the parts of the person that doesn't belong there so they could become the person that was always in there. It's about bringing hope and life and health and vitality and strength and confidence inside a person so that way they can be who God created them to be. It's about seeing in others what they don't even see themselves and then calling that into existence. This is what Barnabas was famous for. Like I know we're going to walk through Acts throughout the whole rest of the year, but let me just give you some stories that happened uh, in Barnabas' life. So we are all familiar with the guy Paul like the, the church-planting Apostle Paul who wrote the New Testament. Well, when he first got saved, his name actually wasn't Paul. It was Saul, and his first job was not a pastor, but it was a murderer. His job was to go around, and he was to, to kill all the early Christians and persecute the church. And then he had a Damascus Road moment. He got saved radically, and then he's like, I'm going to go to church. Do you think those Christians were really excited to see him? <laughs> They're like, Paul came to church. Everybody run and hide. They'd be like if Osama bin Laden showed up at Next Steps. You're like, <laughs> we need to do a background check. <laughs> and they actually rejected Paul. They didn't want Paul to be a part of their church. We, we find the story right here in Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 11. It says this. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him. They did not believe that he was a disciple now. But who? Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Everybody rejected Paul, but, but Barnabas. Barnabas is the only one who gave Paul a shot, who gave Paul a chance. Everybody had turned their back on him. They didn't want him, but Barnabas said, I'll take him, I'll give him a moment, I'll give him this opportunity. And Barnabas, the son of encouragement, single-handedly discipled Paul. And what do we know about Paul after that? Well, he goes and he begins to plant churches for Gentiles. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament, 12 books of the Bible. The greatest theological and philosophical mind in all of human history. Discipled by Barnabas. Barnabas may never have planted a church. But over the last 2,000 years, every single church that's been planted had the fingerprint of Barnabas, the encourager. There's another story about a man named Mark. And Mark, and he, he becomes a missionary along with Barnabas and Paul. And they, they go on these missionary journeys. And for Mark, it's just too much. And so Mark quits in the middle of one of the the, the mission trips. And Mark goes back home. Well, it gets time for them to go on another mission trip. And Barney, Barnabas is like, hey, Mark, come on. And, and Paul's like, no, I'm not taking him. He quit. He's a quitter. I don't want him on my team. I can't count on him. And so, actually, Paul and Barnabas part ways at this moment. Paul goes and he preaches to the Gentiles. And Barnabas goes back to Jerusalem, to the, to the church there. There. And you would think that would be the last time that we heard from Mark. But actually, some 30 years later, in the very last book of the Bible to be written, 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, as Paul is sitting in the prison, awaiting for his death and execution, Mark writes this. He says, or Paul writes this, bring me Mark. He is helpful in my ministry. Do you see the change in Mark's life? Because somebody gave him a second chance. Because somebody saw something in him that nobody else saw and took a shot with him and built him up and spoke life into him and encouraged him. That Mark's entire trajectory changed because one person believed in him. And then Mark later He goes on and he writes a book of the Bible called Mark. And what's interesting about the book of Mark is it was the first of the Gospels written. You ever wonder why all the Gospels sound the same, tell the same stories? Well, because Mark was written first and the other guys copied off of him. If it wasn't for Mark, we wouldn't know about Jesus. Your Bible would be incomplete. You wouldn't have the stories that you have if Barnabas never encouraged Mark. Do you see the power of encouragement now? There's another story a little bit later in the book of Acts. It's about a church in Antioch. Now, there was a persecution that happened, and all of a sudden Jews couldn't live in Jerusalem and worship Jesus, so they all spread out, and they landed in this town called Antioch, and all of a sudden, boom, the churches started growing. Like, they don't even have a pastor. They don't have a preacher. People just going house to house. And all of a sudden, people start getting saved and meeting Jesus. And then word gets back to Jerusalem. Hey, we got all these Christians there. Some are Gentiles. Some are Jews. We don't know what to do with them. And so they're like, I know. We'll send, we'll send Barnabas. And so the church sends Barnabas to Antioch. And here's what it says. It says, when he arrived, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. Like, he didn't see a problem. He saw an opportunity. He didn't see what was wrong. He saw what God was doing. He said he was glad, and then what? He encouraged them. So he exhorted them. He encouraged them. And and look how the the story goes. To stay steadfast in God's purposes, for he was a good man. May it be said of all the men here that we are good men, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. A great many were added to the Lord. So, So here's what it says at the last verse. It says, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, Barnabas was a leader in the church, and his leadership created such a culture of encouragement, they actually changed the name of our religion. Because up until this point, what we would be called today as Christians, we weren't called Christians, we were called followers of the way. For the first several years, we were called the way. And then... Barnabas showed up in Antioch encouraging people, and they changed the name to Christianity. Started calling us Christians. You know why we're called Christians? The word literally means little Christs. People running around there looking like a bunch of little Jesuses. Like, who do you think you are? Jesus, always helping people and encouraging people and always, always speaking positive life over people and healing people and praying for people and serving people. and give. What do you think people think you are? you all a bunch of little Jesuses. But it was the culture of encouragement that gave us the name of Christianity. Not only did encouragement change Paul's legacy, not only did it change Mark's identity, but it changed all of human history. Just because of one person encouraging somebody else. You never know what one word of encouragement is going to do in a person's life. Right. That's why, as a church, we, we, we want to build people up, not tear them down. Like That's what we want to do. We want to build people up. We don't want to tear people down. Oftentimes, the reason we treat people the way we do is because it makes us feel better about ourselves. How you treat somebody says more about you than it has to say about them. We don't want to just walk around tearing people down. The world does a good enough job on its own. No, we want to be a place that builds people up, that inspires hope, that gives faith, that, that lifts up spirits. We want to be able to build people up, not tear them down. And so I believe that in this room, there's people here today, and you're you're hearing this, and you're like, I wish I had a Barnabas. Maybe you don't. So for a moment, can I be a Barnabas to you? Can I encourage you? Guys, you're doing a great job. As your pastor, I'm really proud of the church that we have become, and I'm excited about the church that we are becoming. I'm excited for every single one of you. You're here on a Sunday morning when you could be anywhere else. Thank you. First Wednesday is standing room only right now because you desire the presence of God. Thank you. We're already hitting our first quarter goal for multiply because of your generosity. Thank you. If you call Redemption Home, thank you. If you're a guest here today, thank you. I know a lot of y'all's stories. I know what God has brought you through. I'm proud of you. I know you're not who you wish you were, but you're not who you once were. I've seen so much growth in you. I'm proud of you. There's a couple of groups I want to give a special thank you to. First of all, I want to say thank you to all of the Level Up 6th graders, first time in big church today. Can we give it up for all of the kids who have come into big church today? Listen... You got a long road in front of you of following Jesus. It's not always going to be easy, but I can tell you this it will be worth it. Yes, it will. We love you here at this church. I want to give a, a special shout out to all of the senior saints, all the all the all the gray hairs in the room. I know Redemption's probably not your first choice of churches. The music's loud. The preaching goes too long. The chairs were uncomfortable, praise God. But the maturity you have adds a stability to our church we wouldn't have if it wasn't for you. So thank you for not retiring from the kingdom of God, but spending your last days investing in the next. Thank you. I want to say thank you to all the single moms in the room. I see you, and I know it's hard. And I know you beat yourself up all the time. And I know you think, but I, I could do so much, more. I wish I could offer my kids this. And you say, I'm not perfect. But listen, you don't have to be because you're present. Right. And that's what matters most in those kids' lives. Yes. So thank you to the single moms in this room. And then to the men, to the men in this church, thank you for being a man. Of God. I know you are. I see it in every single one of you. Thank you so much for leading your family. For you young men, the least likely person to go to church is a young man in his 20s. And you're here. Thank you. Your head and shoulders above the rest of this world. As you learn to read your Bible, you learn to give, you learn to be a godly man You're going to change the world. And lastly, I want to say a special thank you to my wife, Ashley. Today's her birthday, by the way. There's a lot of days that I I want to quit. I want to give up. Where I have imposter syndrome, like I'm not the guy to lead this church to the next season. I, I know I come home discouraged very often. I know when we were on our sabbatical, I asked you if we could just stay there. And you said no. (laughs) Because you're such an encouragement to me. I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for you. Thank you for not letting me quit. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for believing in the call of God on our lives, even when I doubt it. Thank you. I love you. And I love you guys. Why should we strive to be encouragers? Because number three, as we close, is this is we serve a God of encouragement. Do you know that our God is an encourager? I mean that's what he does. Look what Paul writes, he says this. He says, Blessed is the God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction, the comfort we've received ourselves as we have been comforted by God. That word comforted is the Greek word paraklesos, which is the same word where we get the word helper or we get the word encouragement. God is an encourager and he loves to encourage us in our faith. Like there's some people, even whole branches of theology, some of you grew up in churches where they told you all the time that God is a big, mean bully in the sky. That he's just waiting for you to mess up so he can judge you and he can smite you and call down heaven. Because he's angry. If that's your view of God, you don't know my Jesus. Jesus. Because when I read the Bible, here's what I I think. I I think about a God who encourages. Because here's what God does. Yeah, sure, he sees you in the the sin, but he doesn't leave you in that moment. No, instead, what does he do? He, He comes up with a plan to send his son Jesus from heaven to earth because he knew you couldn't do it on your own. He saw you in your hopelessness, your brokenness. He saw you on the worst day of your life. And he said, they're still worth it to me. He took a chance on you when nobody else did. He gave you a moment, a second chance. He gave you an opportunity. He gave you hope. And Jesus comes and he lives the perfect life, the one you never did. He said, don't worry, I got that. And he goes to the cross and he dies in our place for our sins. You know, I know that as a Christian, God's not up there just sitting there punishing you because Jesus already paid the penalty in your place. And he resurrects and he gives you a new life with him both now and forevermore. To where you're not who you used to be, you're who he says you are. You become a new creation in Christ Jesus. You become the workmanship of God. You become a masterpiece of God. You become redeemed, you become righteous. That's what he says over you. You are the beloved. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are more than a conqueror in Christ. That's who he does he comes and he encourages us but here's what else is fascinating is the the last words that jesus said right before he gets arrested and goes to the cross he tells his disciples this i will not leave you as orphans i will send the paraclete the helper the comforter the encourager Maybe that's the reason why during the Great Commission that we saw at the beginning of the book, actually, he says this, he says, I am with you always, even until the very end. What does encouragement mean? To come alongside and encourage. That's what Jesus does through the Holy Spirit. You got the God of the Bible living in you. A constant source of inexhaustible courage inside of us as believers. Isn't that amazing? But that's not all. There's more. He gives us the Bible. Do you ever need a word of encouragement? Can I just encourage you to get in the word? If you need a word, here's a whole word. I I got 66 books of, of words for you about your new identity because of him because you are the beloved, you're the child of God, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're the first, you're not the last, you're the head, you're not the tail. I could go on and on about how God thinks about you. And then he gives us the church because we could all go for a little bit of encouragement sometimes, right? And the author of Hebrews says this, do not neglect the gathering together as some do, but instead encourage one another Until the day draws near? How long do we need to encourage each other? Until Jesus comes back and encourages us. But until then, God's given us each other to encourage, to speak life, and to build up. Do you see the power of encouragement? Why it's so incredibly important? So here's here's what I want to do as a close. It's the last slide. I'm gonna give you some practical applications for you. How do we become encouragers? I'll give you three things real quick. If you see something good, say it. Say it. Don't ever rob somebody of an opportunity to be encouraged. If you see something good, say it. I see this in you. Great job. You're doing good. I like your shoes. You look nice today. That mustache doesn't look weird. If you see something, say it. Number two, if you think something special, do it. If you're in the grocery line in front of you and you see a single mom, and there's a prompting in your heart, maybe I should buy their groceries. Do it never go wrong by being obedient to God. If the Lord brings somebody to your remembrance, haven't thought about them in a while, I should text them. Text them. If you see something good, say it. If you think something special, do it. And then lastly, if you want something different, be it. Everybody always walks around all day long. I wish I had a Barnabas. How about you go be a Barnabas to somebody else? Because it's the littlest things, like a text, like a phone call, like a high five, like a hug, like i I'm glad that you're here. That makes the biggest of differences.